Generosity Adventure. How many of you guys like this day, look forward to this day, are excited about this day? Yeah, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to make the difference from some of our faith heroes. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to get ready to read and honor God's word together. Shout out to Danny and Eunice celebrating 10 years on their anniversary. We've got our Guyana crew over there. So what's up to Guyana? They've got their own generosity adventure where they're raising funds to make a difference in their context. I want to hinge our conversation. By the way, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. For those of you that I have not had a chance to meet, it's great to meet you at least from a stage, hopefully we can connect after service. I want to hinge our conversation on 2 Corinthians 9. This has been, well, it's, it's what we used to call the generosity experiment, and we changed the name, and I'll explain why maybe at some point later in the service, but we have felt a mandate and a commission biblically to not just be about ourselves, but to be his hands and feet, to be a source of hope and blessing and encouragement to others, because that's what Jesus said to do. And so I wanted us to look at the scriptures as we get a vision from Paul here to the church at Corinth, which I think is very apropos for our current moment as well. Paul says this, he says in verse six, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap, what does it say? Sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap, what do you think? Generously, go figure. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, check this, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of my biggest prayers going into this weekend is not only that we would raise a ton of money to bless some of these incredible missions partners on the front line making a difference here in South Florida or around the world, but that there would be no ounce of compulsion or spiritual peer pressuring, but that we would respond like a church with a heart full of joy because God loves a cheerful giver. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at it all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Does this sound like a generous God? As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's a good thanksgiving passage right there. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Can you imagine what it would be if we were a community that looked like this, that lived this out? Would you pray with me? God, prompt and move our hearts by your spirit to follow your path that you intended for our thriving, for our life and life abundantly. Would you invite us by your spirit to join you on your generosity adventure? In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five. Tell him, get ready. You can find your seats. The Miami Dolphins are going to win today, by the way. No doubt about it. I've never been so sure because they're on a bye week. Come on, somebody. Uh, My wife and I have two kids. My wife, Nancy, who you met at least digitally on the screen there, and our oldest son, Liam, he's six. He never ceases to amaze me. 
Uh, you would think at this point I would just be ready for the unexpected, but it was a few months ago, and we, I, I mentioned to you guys that we started doing allowance with my boy, some financial discipleship in the trajectory of our peoples, and, uh, and so we began doing this allowance, and so we were at Publix one day, uh, where shopping is always a pleasure. Why would you go anywhere else? I don't know. It's just amazing. You get the BOGO chicken tender sub. I mean, is there anything better? I just had to get that out. Jesus, come on, somebody. That's the right answer in church. Anyways, uh, we were there, and he's like, Dad, can I go to the dollar store, which is right adjacent to the public? Can I go to the dollar store? And I was like, oh, son, you have to have your allowance, you know, and so you, we'll bring it next time we go to the dollar store. He's like, oh, Dad, I'm my like, buddy. I don't have any, you know, I don't have change, and we need to use your money, and so he was sort of teaching him the joys of delayed gratification, and so he was like, oh, okay, okay, and he finally worked his way around. So we get to the cashier, and I'm there checking out, and my son goes, excuse me, and I was like, buddy? And he's like, it's okay, dad. Excuse me. And the cashier's like, uh, yes, little 37-year-old? Like, oh, yes? And he said, uh, excuse me, ma'am, can I have a dollar, please? True story. And I was like, I, I, I kind of found it funny. My wife probably would have been mortified. I found it funny. I was like, oh my God. I was like, and I, I, so I begin to explain, and the lady's kind of like doesn't know what to do. She's so sweet. She's like, uh, and I was like, it's fine, ma'am. Son, that's not how it works. We actually need to give her our money. She doesn't give us her money. We're not doing a hold up here. This is not a robbery. Don't worry. You know, I'm not a six-year-old bank robber. I was like, no, it's fine. And she's like, no, 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 I, I can't. I was like, ma'am. And she starts like fumbling through her wallet. I was like, ma'am, please, it's fine. I got this. Like, don't worry about it. And, and Liam's just standing there like, yeah. And so she's like, no, no, I've been wanting to do something good for somebody. I'm like, please, you don't have to. We're really okay. Like, we're not struggling like that. We got a dollar, I promise. I'm trying. And she's like, no, no, no. And she pulls out her wallet and hands my son a dollar. And he just looks at me. Can we go to the dollar store now? I'm like, okay, apparently we can. So we, he, he takes his little dollar and he's all excited. We go to the dollar store. And of course, a dollar store doesn't cost a dollar. Y'all know that, right? It's called hashtag inflation. So we go there, he's got his dollars. Like, what can I buy? I'm like, you can't buy anything, son. Welcome to the cruel realities of life. Let's go home. I didn't do that. I gave him his 26 cents or whatever he needed. And he got something. But I was like, well, I'm a pastor, all right? I'm a man of God. So I was like, what a moment to teach the scriptures. So I was like, you know, son, in the Bible, there's a scripture verse that says, you have not because you ask not. And, and, and God says, and sometimes we're sitting here and we're like, God, why? and we've never asked God. And James says that we can ask him. And I'm, I'm going through my whole diatribe about spirituality and, and how amazing God is. And my son's just sitting there smiling at me. And I'm like, so son, just remember when it comes to God, you have not because you ask not. And without skipping a beat, he said, and if you do the puppy dog eyes. I was like, What? He's like, oh, yeah, dad, you have to go like this. I was like, did you do that to the lady? He's like, yeah. I was like, where'd you learn that? He's like, Paw Patrol. I'm like, I knew it was from the devil. I knew it. And I left. I, I'm kidding you not. I left. I'm like, this boy is a trip lawyer or sales or something. He's already on his trajectory. I was like, goodness gracious. And I left there so conflicted because on one hand, I'm like, he made it happen. On the other hand, I'm like, I don't really know how to feel about that. How am I going to explain to Nancy the toy from the dollar store? And I feel like in my conflicted emotions there in that moment, it appropriately reflects what we often feel. I mean, have you ever noticed since the struggle internally? We don't quite know what to do when it comes to faith and finances, when it comes to God and asking and money. 
We're not quite sure how we think about it, how we're supposed to. You've got preachers on every side of the spectrum. You've got the name it and claim it and moan it and own it and blab it and grab it and rake it and take it. And, and then you've got like, well, God just wants you to suffer and you just need to eat peanut butter and jelly for the rest of your life because do you know that there are people that don't know Jesus? And, and you're like, well, how do we even think about this? I began for the last several weeks really keying in on this subject and and as I looked at the current moment that we live in culturally and, and especially when it relates to this topic, what I have come to be convinced of is that in the same way that a couple weeks ago in the Navigate series, we talked about our culture's approach to sex and sexuality and how ultimately our cultural approach, while seemingly elevated and, and so sophisticated in modernity, is actually deeply broken based off of the demographic research based off of the statistics, based off of psychology. I come to you this morning to let you know it's not just our culture's approach to sex and sexuality that's broken. Our culture's approach to finances is deeply flawed and broken as well. As I dug in and began to research, I found that finances is firmly planted as the number two cause of divorce in our nation, just behind adultery and infidelity. If you look in and study, we are the wealthiest nation that has ever existed in history, and yet 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, well beyond 50%. This is one point lower than the worst it's ever been in modern history. You said, well, well, that's just talking about the, the reality of the poor. No, it's not. This is not just the urban poor or the rural poor. If you dig in and you look at six-figure incomes, six-figure income individuals, the number goes to 50% of those that are living paycheck to paycheck. Makes sense why it's the number two cause of divorce. All of the stress, all of the pressure, all of the weight, all of the well, more than 40% of U.S. adults say money is negatively impacting their mental health. A recent study that came out with almost 3,000 respondents, they sort of were looking anecdotally to say, okay, what exactly are we doing here? And they said, hey, wh what words would you use to describe how money and finances impacts your mental health? And they gave them a whole list of words, some positive, some negative, some ambivalent. The biggest descriptor came back from a whopping 70% of those polled. They said, when it comes to thinking about money and mental health, the number one response by 70% was feeling stressed. Other emotions people associate with money include worry, anxiety, feeling overwhelmed, and insecurity. Unless we think that, well, this is just a problem of the past, but surely we're moving beyond this. Of all of the demographics polled, the, the demographic that struggled the most with insecurity and anxiety surrounding finances were millennials and Gen Z. This is only a problem that is getting increasingly worse. Which leads me to say, friends, that it's not just my theory, the data is proving that our current cultural approach to finances is broken. And it's leaving us stressed and in debt and anxious and it's eroding and destroying the relationships that we hold most dear. But what if, perchance, this God had a different way? 
What if God actually had a way, like in other arenas of life, for us to flourish and thrive? What if the thief, the enemy of our souls, the the Satan, like we talked about last week, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, what if Jesus, who came to give life and life abundantly, actually has a path for that to happen financially as well? Would you be interested in hearing what that path is? All three of y'all, perfect. What if? God actually meant what he said. And he really does long for us to thrive. And what if he designed a path to lead to our flourishing when it comes to finances rather than our destruction? I've got one core thought, a premise, an invitation, if you will, which is this. What if we approached our finances like an adventure with God? Can you imagine what life would be like? This number two stressor in all of the marriages in our modern context. Could you imagine what life would be like if we approached our finances like an adventure with God? I'm gonna get into a more comprehensive overview next year when it comes to faith and finances. We'll do a whole series on it, but I at least want to dig into a few passages today that reveal the heart and mind of God when it comes to finances and generosity. And we're gonna start with Jesus because that's a great place to start. Matthew 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 6, 24. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, easily the most famous and popular sermon of any era. And in this sermon, Jesus is unpacking wisdom on all different areas and sectors of life. And he comes to Matthew 6 and he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, what does it say? Both God and money. Now, this is interesting. Up to this point, Jesus is using all of these analogies and metaphors. He's like the analogy king. He's talking about birds and lilies, and he's talking about gold, and he's talking, he's using all of these different analogies and metaphors, and and you could see the crowd almost like, yeah, 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 and Jesus gives this one more thing, and then he said, you can't serve two masters. like, oh, whatever could he be talking about? He's like, by the way, I'm talking about God and money. Jesus says no man can serve two masters. Translation, you either serve Jesus or you serve stuff. I, I know we don't think like that. We like to think that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going after my, meeting my needs. I'm going after finding comfort. Pastor John, if you knew what, what my family background was like, I'm going after making sure that we never have to worry about amen to all of that. I'm just saying Jesus said there's only two ways it goes. You either serve God or you serve stuff. You either use money proactively and on purpose as a tool or money uses you as a tool. That's the only way it goes. You're like, well, John, well, how, how, would I, how would I know? If, if one is gonna be your master, how would I know? How would I be able to tell? It's a great question. See, here's what the scripture says. Money is sneaky. Turn to your neighbor and say, very, very sneaky. Very, very sneaky. Money is sneaky. Jesus said, be careful of the deceitfulness of riches. Nobody thinks that money owns them until they're on their deathbed and realize, man, I wish I would have. Nobody says works more. What do they say? Spent more time with my family. Did more things with my kids. Invested more in my deep and meaningful relationships. Translation, I thought I had my priorities right until I realized that money was running my life in ways I never would have picked if I would have stopped and realized what was happening in the moment. 
And Jesus, like the incredible rabbi and teacher that he is, is trying to rescue us from us before we even realize we need rescuing. Because he's amazing like that. How would we know? First Timothy 6, Paul unpacks a little sermon here that he encourages his protege, Timothy, to pontificate before his congregation. He says, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, I want you to command, other versions say, warn, warn those, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Can anybody say cryptocurrency? <laughs> in, the, in wealth, right? It's like, which is so uncertain. You're like, I'm gonna be a billionaire, I'm broke. How did that happen? Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything. Check out the heart of God here, for our enjoyment. He's that good, he's that good. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's the heart of God when it comes to your finances. He wants you experiencing life that's truly life. Real life, life and life abundantly is how Jesus said it. Now, I know there's a chance that I began the passage and you checked out immediately because you were like, great, Pastor John, you go ahead and warn those rich people, I am a college student, warn them, do your thing. And you just sat back, you're like, yes, I don't have to deal with it. And I get, it, it's the unique, it's like the bystander effect of spirituality. Like whenever there's a passage read, you're like, man, I wish my friend was here. I wish my spouse was here. I wish my life, everybody else needs to hear it but you, right? I get it, I get it, we all do it. When we want to consider who Paul is encouraging Timothy to preach this message to, we need to look not just at our little microcosm reality, but we actually need to look at the reality globally. Let me unpack that for us. If you make $25,000 or more annually, you can go ahead and pat yourself on the back because you are part of the top 2% of the richest people in the world. You say, well, Pastor John, I actually make less than $25,000 a year annually, so I'm, kinda, I'm still out of that mix there. Okay, how many of you have electricity? Show of hands. Okay, online, Guyana, you're like, sometimes. Okay, if you have electricity, one quarter, 25% of all humans live without electricity. That's approximately 1.6 billion people. Anybody eat today or you're gonna eat later? Yeah, okay, if you have food, 805 million people worldwide do not have enough food to eat, which leads hunger to be the number one cause of death in the world, killing more than HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. So let me ask you now, in this context, who in this room is rich? Should be almost everybody. And in that light, because you always listen differently, this is a proverbial, is this on the exam? Which really just means, can I take a nap now or do I have to pay attention? Which means, this is on the exam, guys. He's talking to us, all right? So now, let's put our listening ears back on and read it again. Command those who are rich, Okay, here's what he says. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
This is the call. You're like, John, you shared a lot of what not to do. What should we do? Here's what I'm praying that we would decide by God's spirit and by his grace by the end of our time together this morning in the room online that we would approach our finances like an adventure with God, meaning we would approach our finances with this realization. He is the owner and I am the manager. He is the owner and I am the manager. Does anybody have a manager in this room? boss and anybody been a manager in this room all right I worked at my my first experience I'm currently I have a staff manage them but my first experience with management came back in high school when I worked at PacSun anybody remember PacSun is that still a store these days it is all right stand in the test of time uh, I worked at PacSun throughout high school and I worked my way up to be the like uh head sales, whatever. And so if the manager had to go out to another store to get product or do something or run an errand or whatever, I would be the acting manager while I was there at the store. Kind of terrifying when I was consider 17-year-old John in that role. But anyways, that's what they did. And, uh, and so I was there at PacSun. And let's say that on a given day, Debbie, who was my manager, had to go and do some stuff. She's like, all right, John, you got the store. Hold it down until I get back. And I'm going to be back, you know, in three hours or four hours or whatever. And let's say that I decided in that moment, uh, there, there were some clothes I had my eye on, and I just grabbed them and went and brought them to my car. Let's say that I called up a few of my friends and said, hey, man, why don't you come down here? I'm, I'm here. And, uh, and I just said, hey, grab whatever you want and take it. It's on me. And they just, they just took whatever. They were. Let's say that I decided, you know, I, I, I always saw those shirts. I just hated those shirts. I'm just going to take them and put them in the back room. Like, I just don't. How do you think that would go for me? Badly, right? One word, chill. That's it. Jail. That's where, that's where your boy is going. Why? Because I do not have that authority, right? I'm not the owner of PacSun as a global entity, and I'm not the owner of that store. I am simply acting as the... What if God viewed life and finances just like that? Because he does. I know it offends our modern sensibilities and our absolute desire for autonomy, especially as Americans or North Americans, but, but Jesus actually talked about this. In Matthew 25, and I believe it's Luke 19, Jesus told this parable, this earth story that has an eternal meaning to it, and he told this parable about this owner, and this wealthy landowner said, hey, listen, I'm about to go on a trip, and so he distributed to these various individuals what they call talents. He gave some five talents, and some two talents, and some one talent, and he said, hey, listen, I'm going on this trip. Here's some talents. When I get back, you're going to have to give an account for what you've done with it. Peace. <laughs> Took off. They do various things. Some of them act wisely in the heartbeat and the, the, the sort of continuing trajectory of what they think the owner would have wanted. Some of them act foolishly or out of fear or, or, or greed. And when he gets back from his journey, he, he, they have to give an account. Some respond well, it turns out great for them. Some respond poorly, it turns out very, very bad. You might say, great, well, you know, talents. Okay, so I can, I can juggle and uh, do underwater basket weaving. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> you know, whatever, we got talents. Well, talents in, in that cultural context was not what we think about talents nowadays. Talents was actually represented about 20 years of an average day laborer's wages. Check this. He says, imagine life, Jesus says, imagine life is like this. 
The owner of everything goes off on a journey and he gives about 20 years of wages to people and he's gonna come back and say, hey, what did you do with it? Did you use it according to my designs and instructions? I was just curious. I'm like, when's the earliest you can retire? Anybody know when? 20 years. This can't be merely coincidental. At least that's the stat that I read in our context. But it's very curious that in the parable of Jesus, it's this large sum of money that represents essentially a lifetime of work. And then God comes back and and says, what'd you do? What if we approached our finances like an adventure with God? What if we approached our finances and we decided, you know what? I'm gonna take his cues because it's his stuff and I wanna spend it and manage it for him because I'm not the owner, I'm just the manager. You're like, John, what are some of the instructions from the owner in heaven, right? The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? It's all his, right? If those of us who follow Jesus, you know that's true. You're like, yeah, 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 it's all God's. He's the owner, I'm just a steward. Okay, so what, what did the owner tell us to do with stuff? Here's some of it, at least. Hebrews 13 says, do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, what does it say? God is pleased. I just wanna please him. Well, there's one of the attributes. Proverbs 22 says, the generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28 says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Psalm 112, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Proverbs 11 says, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I'm, I'm gonna lay my cards on the table here. I am praying that every single one of you in our church family would be richly and abundantly blessed. God has actually given us the path and the trajectory for how that would happen. It's called open-handed managerial generosity. It's called realizing, God, you're the owner. Every good thing I have, it's not even mine anyways. Like all the bad stuff, y'all can take credit for that. We can take credit for that. All the good stuff is from God. God, it's all yours anyway. What do you want me to do? I'll do that. If you want God's blessing on your life and finances, you need to follow his path. And that path is generosity. Here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm praying. This reminder or, or maybe somewhat new information would be for our church family, for those watching online or over in Guyana, that we would decide or decide again, Jesus, you're the owner, you're the boss. This is all your stuff. It's not mine. I am just the steward. I'm just the manager. I'm just here watching it for you until you get back. So I'll do whatever you want with it. That we would agree with God. Then we would say, all right, God, you you want generosity? Boom, I'm in. Starting at 10%, 10% is what is called in spiritual circles, the tithe. This existed before the Mosaic law. It was recodified in the Mosaic law. Jesus explicitly reinforces it in Matthew 23. I believe biblically, this is the training wheels of generosity. You said, all right, God, you want generosity starting at 10%? Boom, done. Want me to go beyond in missions and, and, and offerings? What, you just give me the word and I'll do it because I love you so much. It's a no-brainer. Everything I have is yours. My life is yours. 
I'm praying that we would live the adventure that God has designed and intended for our lives, unlocked by our obedience and generosity with our time, energies, talents, and finances. It's been one of the joys of the past seven years to be a part of a church family like this where I feel we're already walking in this trajectory. Like this, I'm not having to, to tell us we need to shift course and do something completely different. We're, you guys are already living this out. I, I could, we've got all sorts of stories in this room where generosity is our aim, endeavor, and even in some ways our already prescribed path. But let me remind us who we're trying to be as a church. This is an excerpt from our vision statement. It says, we see churches of passion, people who stand so amazed at God's grace that they can't help but live lives of adventure and generosity. We see God leading us to spend ourselves for those who could never pay us back, strong with children, students, missions, and the poor. Why? Because we've been sent. This is from our missions and generosity fluency. We have 15 fluencies that we're dreaming. Every single follower of Jesus, every disciple, every disciple maker in our church would be increasingly adept and fluent in. Here's an excerpt from that. We are a movement of generosity. In a culture held captive by greed, we renounce the idolatry of materialism and embrace the call to give of ourselves and our possessions. We recognize the subversive nature of extravagant generosity in a culture of greed. The average American church member gives 2.58% of their income. That is a statistic. Once it makes it into the hand of churches, only about 2% makes it to missions and the poor. That means Christians are only giving about 2% of 2%. Our goal is for 50% of our funds to go to missions and the poor. This requires faith. Or maybe you're listening and you're like, that's crazy. I won't fight you on that. It is kind of crazy. I remember moving back down to South Florida. I grew up here from a Jewish background, met Jesus, got radically encountered, said I would never return to South Florida. How many of you made one of those big promises? And then God's like, really? What are you never going to do? Okay, that's cute. And I came back down and um, Pastor Mike, who you guys got to hear from last week, has been my mentor and pastor for almost the past 20 years now. And uh, and I remember moving back down in South Florida is not Gainesville. Cost of living is a little bit higher. And so, you know, they, we were talking. He's like, John, what's the vision? What do you want to do? What's in your heart? What's God put in your heart? And this is what he said. He said, hey, John, whatever you decide to do financially, like we got you, love you. We'll work together. I want to help coach you. He said, but every parent's dream is that their kids would be able to build on their shoulders. He said, we were able to work our way into giving 50% away over the course of about a decade. If you guys would be willing to start there, we'll have your back. Like, we'll make sure you guys don't go under. Like, we, we, we got you, but, like, that would, just, that would just be awesome. Like, that's been one of my prayers. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to pray about that. <laughs> I'm going to pray about that. And so Nancy and I did, and our team did, and we came back, and it was kind of pretty quick. It's like, you know what? I had been a part of what had happened in Gainesville, and, and, and so we're like, man, to watch God over and over again, we would be saving up for a building, and we finally had enough money, and then a, another church in town, like, got in a rough spot. They were about to lose everything, and the deacons got together, and like, we feel like God wants us to give it away. And so like, uh, so they prayed and fasted, felt like, yeah, and they gave it away, and it's like, all right, well, there goes our savings. And then two weeks later, almost the same amount comes back from somebody who had a wealthy relative they didn't know about the tithe, and then boom, there it is. You're like, okay, I guess God knew what he was doing. And so, so with fear and trembling, we're like, you know what? Let's do it. If we go down swinging, at least we go down swinging in generosity. What the heck? Let's go for it. 
and we called it our generosity experiment. We're like, man, let's just see what happens. Like church planting in South Florida is like a graveyard. Churches start and fall and start and stop and and die off over and over and over again. And here we are as a church plant trying to get 50% away of every dollar that we spend. It's a recipe for failure. And yet here we are. And I've got lots of other buddies that were incredible, way sharper, smarter, better than me, us. I'm like, they were amazing and they're not here anymore. And the only explanation I have is God. Like, maybe the Bible's real. Is that crazy? Maybe God actually means what he says when he says things like, whoever is generous to the poor, Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he, God, will repay him. Like, I wonder how many times we're like, all right, Lord, we're stepping out in faith. And he's like, yo, Michael, go ahead and cut the check. Just make sure they get it. Cool, got it. And God just continues to come through because it moves his heart when we obey his ways and when we respond in generosity. This is not my story. This is our story. This is you guys. This is the heart here. We've got a, a... uh, one, of, one of my heroes here, we've got a missionary here who's visiting in furlough. I was like, you're a hero, why? Because that's, that's who we are. Like, cut us at the end of the day. We're not gonna bleed American church with fancy chandeliers. You know what we're gonna bleed? A missions agency. Because it's who we are. It's who we are. So we changed the name. The first few years, it was the generosity experiment. I'm like, y'all, it's not an experiment anymore. <laughs> like, an experiment is until you prove the hypothesis hypothesis proven, this works. It's an adventure. Which brings us to this morning. And what I want to invite us to do individually, or maybe as a family, or maybe if you're watching online, wherever you're at, is to join us individually in what we have been doing for years now, collectively, to join us on this generosity adventure. When you came in, you should have gotten one of these cards, and if you want to grab this and pull this out, I'd like us to look at this together. We've got five different organizations. Some of them are here locally. Some of them are internationally, and they are incredible. They are thoroughly vetted in what feels like a past life. I work for a charity foundation. My job was to assess organizations in terms of their financial viability and their impact on the ground. Every single one of these legit organizations is gold star legit. We have visited. We've been there. A lot of them, I've been there on the ground for extended periods of time. These are thoroughly vetted and world-class in terms of the effectiveness of what they're doing. I want to walk us through this card and then we're going to respond and we'll end our service in a time of worship through giving and then through singing. The first organization is Favor International. You'll see them there on the bottom of the card. Favor International was an organization I was privileged to spend some significant time with in northern Uganda. They started in northern Uganda. For any of you that are familiar with the LRA or the Lord's Resistance Army, Joseph Konye and the the horrible war atrocities there, they stepped in in the midst of a time when everyone was fleeing for their lives and and they stepped in with the hope of the gospel. Kara Ward is the director and her husband, who is a Ugandan man. They, they started working and they said, God has called us here. And so they have watched over the course of the decade plus that they've been doing work. They have watched former child soldiers go from mercenaries, get inner healing, get medical care, become missionaries. They've watched prostitutes and women that were abducted from their homes during all of this, who, who end up getting rocked by the gospel and transformed. And these former prostitutes become prayer warriors and, and they go in when there is chaos throughout the continent 
And, and the UN's like, man, it's too dangerous. It's too war-torn. They feel like their call is to go into places where no one else will go because they said, listen, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If we die, we'll go be with Jesus, but this is where he's called us to go. And so they get asked by governmental organizations to go in. They do trauma counseling. They do reconciliation meetings. So they'll go into a tribe. If a tribe's feuding with another tribe, they'll go in and they'll say, hey, listen, they'll preach the gospel. They're like, and if they don't kill us, how about this for a nonprofit mission? They say, if they don't kill us, they typically hear the gospel for the first time. They respond. The reconciliation happens amongst the tribes. They're not murdering each other anymore. And then we get to set up portable Bible colleges because we're not just making converts, we're making disciples. And we'll raise up from within that community missionaries and pastors who can go and pastor that community. And then they go because what they experience, they're like, well, this is what we do. So let's find a tribe that's been trying to kill us for decades or centuries. And let's go and preach the gospel of reconciliation there. And if they don't, kill us, then maybe they'll respond and God will bring peace and he'll bring transformation. Like, they are like the, the Marines of the kingdom. This is one of the organizations we're trying to raise money for. The next one is the Harvest Drive. You, you guys, a lot of you that are here from our church family are familiar. The Harvest Drive is an organization lo located right here within Broward Schools. They hub out of Western High School. They work to meet food insecurity for families here in Broward County families that are in crisis, families that are in need. They do everything from food. They do uh, supplies for the homes and all sorts of different things. And most recently, we've begun getting refugees from Ukraine, from the war in Ukraine. And so they're providing all sorts of things for these refugees. They're an incredible organization that we've been partnered with for now seven years. It's a chance to be a blessing to Western because they care deeply for this organization and be the hands and feet of Jesus and what is largely a Jewish-run organization that keeps saying, you Christians are so interesting. We are, aren't we? You got to hear and have in person Missionary Sam and Life for the Innocent. Missionary Sam and his team rescue kids out of human trafficking all throughout Asia. They provide medical care and counseling to get them rehabilitated and restored. And then we, they get them adopted into thoroughly vetted forever families where these kids who often were sold away, trafficked, disposed of, find hope, healing, redemption and restoration in the name of Jesus. You heard missionary Sam share, they're starting to have kids that were rescued a decade plus ago, come back through their program and start serving within their organization and saying, listen, you guys came for us, we're gonna go for them. That's missionary Sam and life for the innocent. Care Portal is an organization right here in South Florida that works alongside four kids. What they do is they, this is a brand new sort of technology that they've developed where before kids are ever removed from their homes, they allow businesses, nonprofits, and churches to step in in preventative ways so that kids never have to get removed in the first place. They're like, what if we actually reverse engineer the orphan crisis, which we have in our modern context, and kids never got removed because families got the support and the support system they needed before kids were ever traumatized in that way. Does that sound like wisdom to you? They're incredible. And lastly, the Jacks family. These are homegrown missionaries. They spent a bunch of time in Greenhouse Gainesville. They've been with us here in Greenhouse, South Florida. They work throughout uh, South Asia and the Buddhist world. They're, they're doing everything from English training and language skills training and photography training. Jack is an incredible professional photographer. And so they offer skills and English language learning, which gives social mobility opportunities. And they are also bringing the hope of Jesus and the gospel. Often they are doing church planting in regions that have never had a church in known human history. 
And those of you that experience Jesus and the gospel know that wherever the gospel goes, people flourish and thrive. They're training up local pastors and leaders, doing church planting in unreached places. So how we're going to end the service is I want to give us an opportunity to give. And on the back of this card, you'll notice a little QR code. If you would like to give digitally, you can scan that code. It'll take you directly to our secure e-giving page. There's a drop-down menu item called the Generosity Adventure. Our goal, by the way, is to raise $50,000 to fund every single one of the projects that each one of these organizations have laid out as sort of their Christmas wish list, like their dream. They're like, we're hoping maybe by the end of the year. I'm like, I'm hoping and praying that by the next few weeks, this, by the way, we don't take any overhead from this, 100%. We didn't do the offering when we normally do because 100% of what's given today and given for the generosity adventure goes directly to work on the grounds in a matter of weeks. This will be there on the ground making a difference. We don't take a cut. We don't take administrative fees. We don't take any overhead. This is for Jesus and his glory and his work. And it's a joy to be able to do that. So I want us to, to take a moment. If you want to give digitally, you can do that. You, I think there's also a phone number for text to give. Yeah, there it is. You can text the dollar amount and the word adventure to that phone number, 954-994-1573. If you want to give via cash or check, in those bu- we'll have buckets that will get passed in just a second here. In those offering envelopes, you can write down. Uh, if you want to get giving credit, write down your information, and uh, you can give cash or check in that way. But I just want to pause and pray for us. And then as soon as I'm done, I'll ask the ushers to come. We'll take up this offering and then we'll close our time singing and worshiping together in a final chorus. Let me pray. Lord, I have no idea what what people are supposed to give or where people are at. Lord, some people are at a, a challenging financial spot themselves and, and some people are in a great spot. Lord, I could not pretend to know what you are wanting to put on the heart of every individual here or watching online or watching later on demand, but but I'm asking that by your spirit you would. Even now while you're there at your seat, I'd encourage you to just take a second and just ask God. Say, God, what do you want me to do? And then just wait. Lord, you know every one of these organizations, they are, they are some of my faith heroes in places often where no one else wants to go, doing things that often no one else wants to do. Some of this is be hidden. It's hidden. It's behind the scenes. They're just doing it for you. Lord, would you allow this little church here in South Florida and Davie, Florida, to do exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, that our generosity, that our faith-fueled, love-saturated generosity would be a source of deep encouragement and hope to these mission partners here in South Florida and all over the world. Lord, would you prompt our hearts to be good managers right now? You're the owner. It's all yours. Give us a number. Give us a word. And then give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, you can come forward.
Jesus, everything we have is yours. Every good and perfect gift, it comes from you. The fact that we have breath in our lungs, the fact that we have dollars in our bank account, the fact that we have health in our bodies, the fact that we have gainful employment, like Lord, every, every good and perfect gift is from you. And God, my prayer for, for this church family this faith community is that we would be those who increasingly move in countercultural ways when it comes to stuff, when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, where our culture says, get, 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 and in getting, you're going to find your happiness and fulfillment. And what we're finding is that that experiment has failed. 
and we're more anxious and our relationships are more depleted and we're getting more divorces than ever before because of it. Jesus, you model a different way. Would you convince us and convince us again that you know best, that your way is the best way, that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans for a hope and a future. Would you give us grace and courage to follow your lead? Hey, we're gonna close in just a moment, but if I could ask some of our prayer partners to, to line the front up here, if you're one of our microchurch leaders, serve team leaders, one of our prayer partners, if, if you're here and you're like, man, John, the last thing I need is like, offering money stuff like those organizations sound great like I I need an organization to come to me I'm a mess my relationships are a mess I realize that even holiday time while it's exhilarating for some of us is very painful for others and before we leave and go out there and grab a slice of pie and and linger for a little bit and hang out there's some really good people in this place and I think you're gonna make some good connections but before they do that before we do that and I dismiss us if it would be helpful for you to to receive prayer. We've got a team up here that would love to pray with you, would love to encourage you, would love to answer any questions you have maybe about God, faith, and spirituality on your faith journey. And before you go, if if that would be helpful, we would love to do that. If you're online, you can do the same thing and request prayer and someone will follow up with you as well online. But, But these altars are open. As soon as I dismiss, if you'd like prayer just to talk with somebody, we've got some of our prayer partners up here. They are great salt of the earth. They're good people. They love Jesus. We'd love to pray with you. Let me close this out. Lord, I pray your blessing over your people. Thank you for those individuals that are here, for those watching online over in Guyana. Lord, thank you for the hearts that I already know that are hearts of radical generosity, that are hearts that are joining you on on your generosity adventure. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. You would make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them, that you would lift up your countenance, your face upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, your perfect peace. I pray your blessing on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.